going on, Michael? Well, Luke, another week done, <laughs> another week to go. It's been a busy one for me. We're about to launch the Nighttime Industries Association, which mm-hmm. will kick off with a launch dinner on the 7th of November. It's open now for membership and things are heating up there. Uh, as you know, lockout's been mentioned a number of times in the news the last few weeks, and so there seems mm-hmm. to be a bit of an appetite to at least consider it or... Uh, so, yeah, no like, no time like the present then to get started. Yep, it's exciting. What about you? Uh, mate, business as usual for me. There's a lot um, going on in recruitment uh, as per usual. Everyone's trying to get people in through the doors before uh, we get too deep into the silly season. So, mate, yeah, it's good. It's good. Business is growing very quickly. We just got our sixth person into the team, which is uh, quick but exciting. So, um, mate, I cannot complain. But I'm looking forward to today. We've got Jason Crawley, who um, you know as well as I do, perhaps better, and someone who's you know widely recognised around the world. What are you looking forward to in this chat? Well, he's one of these people that has just, I think, populated uh, the industry or at a senior level anyway. His name keeps coming up and mm. you just see the stuff that he's doing. And uh, if you look at a lot of the businesses around town at some level, I think there's some fingerprints of some of his fingerprints on them, particularly in the bar scene. So, yeah, interested to see uh, what's going on behind all that grey hair. <laughs> yeah. Awesome, man. Well, let's jump into it. So, uh, hello, hello, chaps. Hello. <laughs> uh, today we are joined by none other than Jason Crawley, and I've got a pretty long uh, list of uh, not only, I guess, businesses that you're involved with, but some accomplishments as well, because they're extensive. But okay, um, I guess founder it's of the old. Simple Syrup Company. Yep. Tenth anniversary yes, was ten years. Uh, yeah, it took about a few months back. Yeah, right. Yeah, ten years. Um, regular. Uh, uh, appearances on the most influential influential list uh, yeah. within the Australian Bartender yep. um, uh, Awards or recognition. Yeah. Inducted into the Hall of Fame, is that correct? Or um, Outstanding Contribution Award, contribution? yeah. That was this I, year? That was this year, yeah, it was very nice. Life I can finally tell my mum something positive. <laughs> you know, there's, a, there's a trophy in the house yeah, and nice. it's not for darts. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> um, inventor of the Crawley's Imperial Shaker products. Yep. So that's now a range of two different shakers. Uh, there's, a few, there's a Citrus Press, a Champion Shaker. We've just finished doing an install in Raffles in Singapore. So we've done yep. like, well, you could call it a Raffles Sling Shaker if you wish. Mm-hmm. It's like a bar top device that shakes six cocktails at the same time yep. based on a, a Spitfire crankshaft. It's pretty, 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 pretty decent piece of kit. <clears throat> nice. Yeah, it's super cool. Um, been a judge for world class global finals. Yeah, that was, that was a lot of fun. Owner of uh, drink cabinet events and trade marketing business. Yep. Um, we'll get into that in more detail. Obviously. Agency life. And I'm pretty keen to dive into your latest venture. We can do that now, we can do it later. We're pretty flexible. But um, Ampersand or yep. Vodka Rand. Yes. Um, vodka, soda, vodka soda water in a can. Yeah, it's a taste How sensation. did you come up with that? That's like groundbreaking. <laughs> yeah, look, uh, it, won't, it wasn't my idea, to be clear. Right. Um, <clears throat> there was a couple of friends of mine uh, that are working in essentially marketing to millennials space. Right. Uh, and, of, and, of course, they came to us as the drink cabinet to say, can you help us bring our vision to life? So uh, my partner Dylan and I worked pretty tirelessly on kind of sourcing all the raw materials, the licensing and all the things that go along with trying to put an alcoholic product into the market in Australia. Excuse me. 
Um, so the, the insight was based on, you know, uh, I guess of our lengthy time in the trade, knowing the biggest selling spirit and mixer in on-premise, in bars and what have you around the country, more in the, guess, the more affluent pockets, but uh, in the millennial space, was vodka, soda and fresh lime. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and of course, the biggest selling <clears throat> thing in, in Australia, of course, are RTDs. So it, it kind of made sense at this crossroads where you've got a thirst for already packaged products of a high quality plus the market demand of people that are constantly trying to lose weight, uh, you know, uh, soft sand runners, et cetera. They're all just kind (laughs) of looking for a sugar-free product. And, of course, to wrap that around with some notion of lifestyle, we've, uh, you know, we've kind of got a lot of inspiration from the Bolter product uh, with that minimal can design. Yeah. And then just kind of try about, well, what's the point of difference it could have? Because if you just put a can of vodka and soda into the market, it's probably going to tank. So the whole whole point of it is that the whole top of the can comes off. It's a, a full aperture end opening. Yeah, and then you can add whatever you want to it. So if you want a fresh lime in there, you can. And if you're a super fancy boombastic person, you can put a, a big slice of watermelon in there if you want. You know. <laughs> so ultimately, so there's like a, that that Corona moment where you're adding your either lemon yeah, or a lime. Sure. There's a little bit of a signature and a bit of a ritual to it. Yeah. But that kind of ownable thing, so you can kind of own your own style of drink. Or of course, you don't have to put anything in it and just enjoy a nice low alcoholic moderately healthy-ish kind of thing yeah. uh, knowing that the people that are trying to drink better these days they say yeah. um, myself I'm not but uh, I still like beer but uh, but ultimately <laughs> yeah uh, it's kind of coming to that crossroads of lifestyle millennial people wanting to kind of drink a little more healthy and not have all the and of course alcohol uh, is a big thing too so we've lowered the ABV down to 1.1 standard drink so it's moderate sessionable yeah right. <clears throat> but yeah, yeah it's su- super cool product so it's only, we're only six weeks old so it's gonna still early days but um yeah and that's in Dan's, that's in... Uh, BWS, like already... predominantly, so a couple of hundred right. BWS stores, and uh, I guess Dan Murphy's in areas where that would product would sell, so there's about uh, 40 or 50 Dan Murphy's nationally. So, and we just got into the independents, which but I haven't loaded yet. Yeah, right. So, yeah, it's very early days, but uh, it's a super cool, and we're pretty excited about the whole thing. So, I guess we jumped into that because we were talking about it briefly before yep. we got started, but... Um, I guess to give insight as to why you're here, um, I think there are probably very few people. Wait, well, you told me to come to a pub on a Friday afternoon, so I, yeah, th- I thought I'd come along. Yeah, there was an ulterior motive. You know? <laughs> there are probably very few people, um, I would suggest, globally that have the level of profile that you have from a beverage perspective. Yeah. I'd suggest that's very, very fair to say. Okay. Um, you don't have to agree. It sounds like you're not going to, but you. Oh, look, you for- a, it makes you feel weird that kind of thing. Yeah, I totally, I totally yeah. understand. But you forged a reputation and a career that um, I think there's probably very few high quality venues in the world that you would walk into and potentially not be yeah, recognised. You one know, of the few nicer things about it. Yeah. How did that start? I mean, what, what, what was your? Why don't we go back to like I guess the very first venture for you into hospitality. For even just from a working capacity like how did you find your way to hospitality oh listen to it. I grew up in I don't know how far back you want to go because I've been at this for 30 odd years I don't want to send your listeners to sleep but uh, in a nutshell there was I grew up in Yorkshire, England, and there wasn't a great deal of opportunity at the time. Uh, so you can imagine the you know, um, late 80s, we just finished a Thatcher government, mm. and all the jobs were essentially what they call YTS schemes. So you were working a six-day week for £17.50 doing hard labour. Uh, and of course, yeah, right. <clears throat> which I did when I left school at 16. Uh, when it came to uh, the phone rang, and a friend of mine, was, they, they basically knocked down all of the steelworks uh, to, and have started to buy steel from overseas. And 
in there and replace them with shopping malls. So we had these American shopping malls, which we'd never really seen before, but we've only seen them on, on kind of TV, you know, Baywatch mm. and what have you, hang out at the mall. And uh, <laughs> so we had these shopping malls, and of course in them went themed restaurants because it's the late 80s. So there was a 50s diner and a, and a Greek and an Italian and yeah. all that kind of thing. And I was really lucky, uh, I guess is the turning point for me, because um, the, the agency that were employed to run this whole thing were called the Theme Team, and they basically had a national business theming restaurants to open from scratch. And they had a, the guy that trained all the guys in the cocktail movie over to train us. So they put us in a classroom for what was essentially a couple of months while these places were, were built and styled and themed and recruited for. And they just spent all that time training us. Not only had to, you know, throw bottles and tins in the air but also mm. about customer service and sort of conflict resolution and all these things which was for me as a, a laborer essentially was an incredible baptism of fire uh, and of course it just I just had an, a, a national a natural I guess personality for the for the thing and I just loved it and, yeah. I, and I just couldn't get enough of it so I just kind of took it incredibly seriously and just wanted to be the world's best bartender then you know so we, that's what I kind of set out to be yeah. and then very quickly started to move around the country and I didn't even know there were other cities and things in the world because you know growing up in that part of the world with no internet uh, you didn't realize there was a place called Kuala Lumpur in the world or you know Hong Kong and all these foreign places where you could actually go and make a good cross being a, a decent bartender so you know that's kind yeah. of the path I chose and eventually that kind of took me to several countries around the world and I ended up in Australia in 2000. Yeah right. So what brought you to Australia? <clears throat> um, good Brown question. Brian, yeah, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I just bought, I, I went back to university when I was 27 and I did a degree just to prove that I could, could spell yeah. and, and structure <laughs> a sentence together, you know, and uh, I kind of, I'd been bartending for, you know, eight or nine years by then, when I, by the time I was 28. And uh, so I was kind of looking for other things to do. I kind of, you know, done a, done a fair bit by then already, you know. So uh, I, I graduated uni after doing the four years and then I just bought myself a round the world ticket and uh, which was supposed to last for three months. And I ended up getting stuck in Thailand for a couple of years because <laughs> uh, it's amazing. <laughs> so I ended up coming, uh, extending, extending, extending and... Um, ended up in Australia just as a passing visit to yeah. see my friend Mikey Enright who I'd worked in London with in the 90s right. and of course I came into the Grand Pacific Blue Room on my birthday actually uh, it was yeah. quite interesting timing wise and uh, yeah and I just saw what was going on here yeah. and realised it was just like London in the 90s at the very beginning where there was just this new appetite for, for drinks and things so it was kind of it was like being lucky to be start going back in time to do it all again which mm. was quite appealing and of course you know after living in London for a long time I'd kind of gotten sick of living on the tube and uh, and mm. having dirty fingernails the whole time just from walking around the street because it's you know it's when you've lived in london for a you know, decade you, you do get a little tired of the of the noise right. and coming here after being in california for a little while uh, I, I just couldn't believe how clean it was and how beautiful it was and obviously being having a city with beaches was like a dream come true for me because you know i kind of wanted to do a bit more surfing and of course things like golf and outdoor pursuits are just so rare in the uk mm. so it just was like a dream so it was like this origins of a new industry outdoor living and that kind of, kind of healthy thing back then uh, it, it just all made sense that's kind of why i ended up doing everything i could to stick around yeah which uh, which is what i did in the end so how did mikey 
how do you guys know each yeah, other? Yeah, so Mikey, uh, interesting story. There's a very dear friend. Uh, he came to Planet Hollywood, uh, which was one of the, which was then a cutting edge bar in London, believe it or not. Right. Um, we used to have you know Bruce Willis behind the bar with us, and we've made a few films. With uh, I've got a movie on, on VHS at home on my mom's attic, which has got, um, and we've sliced alone, and, and the three owners, obviously uh, Bruce Willis and uh, who's the other fella, Bruce Willis, Sly, and um, we can oh, edit uh, this, can't we? Yeah, totally. Um, uh, Bruce Willis, Sly, and um, Arnold Schwarzenegger. So we, so I have oh, this right. VHS in my mom's attic, and uh, there was a short film that we made to kind of promote the restaurant, and I was in that with those guys. So it was a really exciting time. Yeah, right. And Mikey uh, had just finished a marketing degree, and he came down from working in a little pub called the Cock and Bottle uh, on the wrong side of the Pennines up north. And, uh, <laughs> and he, and he <laughs> that made sense to me. No, it wouldn't. No, it's, a, it's like a north-south divide, but right. it's like an east and west with uh, Yorkshire and Lancashire. They're fierce rivals, uh, gotcha. mostly in whether it's a hot pot or a Yorkshire. Pot it's kind of all we've got to talk about these days <laughs> so uh, yeah uh, anyway so Mikey came down and he, he'd had some kind of pub experience before but he hadn't worked in in like a proper bar with you know the American systems that we were using at the time so he he was bar backing for us and and it was quite a, a humbling experience for Mikey because he was kind of you know quite a well-established kind of character up, uh, up where he was from and then he came to a big city like that and started polishing glasses for a living it was quite a mum but he did it and we became incredibly good friends and and, and he, as I was finishing my degree, he came to Australia a year before me and kind of, you know, got things going here from his own point of view. And I joined him later, just kind of by accident sort of thing. So once we connected, it was kind of, uh, I, I kind of came and wanted to see Mike and a few of the other bartenders as well that had moved down here. So it was kind of a mm. pop into Sydney on my way through, high five these guys and, you know, and uh, but never really left. So it was just kind of like that, really. Did you guys know Marco before? Yeah, so Marco also, um, he came to, I hope Marco uh, isn't annoyed by what I say, but he came to Planet. We couldn't give him a job because he couldn't speak English. Right. So we sent him Can around he, yeah? to, uh, no, nah, he's still no, learning. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he says, says the same thing over and over again. <laughs> and gives laughs. you an Indian burn on your arm, <laughs> Chinese burn. Um, so we sent him around to a, a sister restaurant of Planet, which they opened, uh, which was called Sound Republic. And he went and worked in there for a while and then became, his English really improved and then he went on to work at uh, the Atlantic which was the the hot bar of London in the 90s where he worked with Dick Bradsell creator of many modern drinks mm -hmm. espresso martini obviously and, and many others um, so yeah and he kind of really found his craft there and then he came over also and had a big impact on the scene and you know went on to do great things I came into the scene a little later I guess sort of 2008 2010 uh -huh. I would say but and my perspective has been that between you, Mikey, Marco, and probably a few others, there's this. There was a generation, or a, not, I don't want to say founding fathers, but you know, someone looking at the uh, industry from the outside. Yeah, uh, that's how I perceived it. Is that? sort of yeah, resonate in some it ways? it does a little so, bit. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, we were just, a, you know, there's obviously you have to take into consideration Brisbane and uh, and a couple of people over in Perth as well that have done some really good things. Uh, but, yeah, it does kind of feel like that in a way. And obviously, you've got people like, uh, you know, Ben Davidson here who was, who was around for quite a long time before we got here. But I think it, it was just a coming together of all this kind of a, a market appetite, really, and cocktails mm. before were like, you know, Midori illusion shakers and all those kind of horrible things of the, of the 80s kind of started to find their feet so when we came in I guess after the decade in London we brought this kind of fresh approach which is what Dale DeGroff did in New York you know finally there's a resurgence of classic drinks with good quality ingredients and fresh ingredients and not artificial 
sugary things, you know. Mm. And so, yeah, we kind of had a, a huge impact. I don't know if we were solely responsible for it, but we certainly put all the drinks out there, a, a lot of them anyway, and, you know. And then, of course, the Bayswater had a, a big impact as well with people like Chino and Norin yeah. Yeah. Uh, and those guys. Um, I talked about um, one of my ex- acceptance speech at the Bar Awards recently. You know, I was talking about the devolution of... of, of these guys as well because you know Naren at the time was making drinks at the Bayswater with 30 or 40 ingredients in them and, and now he makes Campari and orange juice in yeah. New York yeah. <laughs> it's quite funny and of course Mikey had a drink at Jimmy Licks which was the first kind of bar he started to yeah. work at it was a brilliant restaurant I'm sure you remember it yeah I do super cool first time I'd ever eaten a beetle leaf yeah uh, very exciting uh, and he had a drink in there called a Baghdad iced tea which had a, no it. less than like 17 ingredients as well and of course yeah. now Mikey serves real ale and shots of gin so it's kind of like <laughs> the evolution of these uh, people also so uh, things yeah. have kind of so yeah you do feel a little bit like you do certainly feel like you've had a, an impact to some extent on, on, on it uh, I think the impact's more measurable on the amount of people that we've trained and got inspired you know when we started to work on the brand side of things with you know the mix it program which we ran for seven years you know we mm. we trained over i think it's about twenty thousand bartenders in, in that time you know so you and of course it was all new then so it wasn't just like you know nothing against the brand ambassadors today but it, it wasn't brand bashing it was actually this is how you construct drinks properly because if you can imagine back then you'd go to somewhere like the crown casino and ask someone to make you a cocktail they'd go off and get some baileys and some red bull and you know, put some shambord on top of it because no one had any formulas. Uh, mm. but, but with the mix it thing that we were doing, we were just mm. coming to it from a, a quality drinks perspective, and the brands just kind of got sucked into the story. So yeah. it's a, a unique approach, and that kind of had a big impact on the quality of drinks. I firmly believe in in the country because it was a national touring, educational, amusing show essentially. And so you know, uh, even though those bars like the Grand Pacific Blue Room and maybe Long Grain as well, you know, yeah, where yeah. Kevin Jackson, uh, God rest his soul, came through a, a couple of years before we did and in, introduced a stick drinks concept, which he'd taken out of London with mojitos and caipirinhas mm. on every yeah, drink. Well. Yeah, yeah. So that that you know, he's he had a big impact on that as well. So you know, this notion of breaking back fresh flavors with big pieces of wood and the and the world running what to do with a muddler, and then of course <laughs> the the muddler industry started. <laughs> and a million muddlers in the market. Break, break glasses, mate, yeah, is what I do. That's right. There's a place called Kokomo. That's where you want to go to get away from it all. You touched on it then, but I, would, I remember that time very well because it's when I started my career in hospitality. And I yeah, ran right. 99 was my first okay. year. Um, I still remember Mikey working at um, um, Jimmy Licks. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, Such a great place. So mate, it was shame. amazing. Such a shame it was that's awesome. not under there. And, um, but also, you liked it for yourself, Marco, and I've totally blanked on the name of the venue that he first started with. Marco? In, um, the Cross with Maryvale. Oh, the a Lotus. Lotus. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. It's the bar that he built for himself, but no one else could fit yeah. in once he'd left. <laughs> it's tiny, but... You built a bar for Ants. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. There was a generation of, of guys that were uh, wholly invested into the industry here, yep. and I would suggest inspired or motivated another generation yeah. of people to enter the industry and, uh-huh. and get passionate about drinks. Yeah. Do you think that's the same now? Do you think there's another generation of people like yourself, Marco, Mikey, for example, but maybe a step below that are approaching it in the same way? It's a really good question and I'm not too sure because I guess it's gotten so large 
that you know when you look at some an event like Tales of the Cocktail in the mm. US where you get in best part of 20,000 people it's hard to pluck out the the individuals in there that are really making a difference because the industry's gotten quite heavy uh, and, and very complex. And of course, we've got the advent of the commercial backing now, whereas the only people that were sponsored prior to that were flare bartenders who would put you know, sweatbands on with Smirnoff <laughs> yeah. or something written on their arms. And that they were the only people that got sponsored, you know, Christian Dalpesh in Las Vegas, people like that. They were yeah. the only ones. So once we got the emergence of the, the corporate backing, and of course, you know, Bacardi were first to market with Raj, Nagra, who also was a massive influence mm. on many people. Uh, and of course, once the, once the corporate dollars started to pluck these people out of the market, massive impact. But these days, I don't know, because it's just... I guess the social media element has come into it as well. Uh, and, you know, someone like, um, there's a young fella who's got like 40-odd thousand followers on Instagram who's, you know, doing the rounds at the moment. He's a lovely, lovely guy. But, um, and he's doing really great drinks with a, with a kind of a mainstream pub group. You know, is, is he, you know, um, having a, a big effect? Uh, and if we can edit this bit, I can't remember his fucking name. <laughs> when <are they> <laughs> we'll do our best to try and we'll eloquently edit it. A local? It'll come to me. Yeah, he was at Bartender of the Year for, um, oh, bloody hell, what's he called? Just, just recently one? Nah, right. he's, he's, he's like Insta-famous. Um, I don't think it's that relevant anyway. Okay. I guess what I'm trying to say is it's difficult to, for me anyway, uh, to isolate a generation of new influencers. I think it's gotten really quite complex, a bit muddy as to who's making that difference. I guess it, what I'm trying to say, it's harder to see. Whereas mm. you've got a new industry-ish, you know, back then, uh, where you've got you know passionate individuals making a big noise and making a big impact on local communities and also in the city, where now you've got so many small bars, which is great, you know, that we need millions more, uh, but it's just kind of harder to see the individuals that are really making that that massive difference. And of course, we've got the, the cocktail competition, and there's obviously um, uh, quite a few of those as well. And, what do you make um, of all that? talking about that a little earlier with they, yeah it's I, I lo- it's a love-hate relationship with cocktail comps i think they um you know speaking incredibly freely here i can see i can see the benefits of them and i can also see the drawbacks of them if they're done well they're a really great exercise for you know getting bartenders to immerse themselves with their brands and if they're done badly it's you're just kind of wasting money uh i think the people that are doing it well you know when you look at something like the the world class model uh you know it's obviously a world leading model it's kind Mm -hmm. of a Obviously, it's a, we all know it's a marketing exercise. Of course, they're trying to raise the bar in education and training and drink making to see how far you can push the envelope. Um, but it's an incredibly expensive thing to run globally when you look at the millions of dollars that are invested in there. But they're actually saving money with that strategy because you're spending less money activating your brands under one umbrella. Mm. Whereas if you're an independent person, if you're like a new startup gin and you're going to run a cocktail comp, I'd be really wary of doing that because you can't guarantee that the bartenders are now going to run off with your gin and put it on all their cocktail menus and talk mm. to everybody about it because it's difficult. So yeah. I think it makes sense for the for a lot of brands, but it doesn't make sense for everybody's brand. And I think you've just got to be really careful. You would have entered a fair <coughs> few competitions. No, I never no? did. Uh, two reasons. There weren't any right. <laughs> in my time. Jeez, how old are you? And, uh, I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> and uh, I 
please try not to harp on about the age thing, but uh, I'm not. Yeah, I'm still in my forties, which is great. The tail end of them. Um, but um, I never really entered any because I wasn't right. that kind of bartender. You know, okay. I was. A, I was. A, I'd like to pride myself on on, on being a like a um, people's bartender. So it was a bartender people would go and have a chat with, and I wasn't the most creative bartenders. You know, right. I wasn't. I wouldn't have done creative in into a step to an extent, but you know, mm. we were just kind of. We were just bartenders of an era that were really passionate about customer service and having a real good laugh, you know, dare I say it, trying to get laid, make some money and travel around, you know, that was yeah. the gig then. It was a, just a, a very different look. Yeah. Where now we're kind of, I, I say very vaguely or very briefly or broadly that, you know, we've got a whole breed now of bartenders that are essentially competition bartenders and they'll enter all of them and good on them you know because they're, they're making a decent living at it they could put in the name out there mm. international travel frequently um but i am concerned about them as well because they kind of worry about their future because i know when you get to of, of an age and all you've done is make drinks in yeah. competitions it's kind of what then but i think the industry's changed so much now that these kind of people that are incredibly creative and doing really well are getting pulled into the corporate world and they're becoming brand ambassadors and then maybe going to marketing roles or brand management roles or, or right. something entirely different. So I think, you know, um, I forgot what the question was now. Uh, what's my view on Cox? Oh, uh, no, it's more, um, I guess, looking at a comparison. Cause you, I mean, you made a comment before about world class and your exposure to those competitions, or, or yeah. not necessarily just world class, but other competitions. Yeah, so, sure. Well, we've run quite a lot of them, them. so, you know, kind of, we yeah. have to be careful, you know, because they, you can see that they make a big impact. Mm. Um, I interrupted you there. My, my no, it's more difference between potentially the way competitions or um, professional bartenders approach competitions maybe five to ten years ago as opposed to how they do it now. Yeah. I mean, you, you mentioned the fact they roll in with racks of suits these days. Oh, my like, gosh. Would that be the case? Would that have been the case maybe ten years Not ago? Not at all. Not at no. all. So I mean, it's, it's nah. the industry's kind ten of changed. Ten years ago, they would have rolled in with a few other racks, I guess. That's right. <laughs> Correct. Michael. Yeah, yeah. Well, of course. It's uh, it's just part of it, isn't it? So, yeah, they, uh, they, it, it's changed immeasurably. And, of course, the delivery of, of them now on stage, they've all kind of got a, a re, an incredibly well-rehearsed patter. Yeah. Uh, what does wind me up, I have, do have one little issue with them is that when they pre-pour all their ingredients into tiny little receptacles and pre-measure them yeah and you know and then they literally pour them into a cocktail shaker and shake them and and that's kind of it and i and i I know that it's a flavor competition and i get it it's of course but i still feel there has to be an element of the bartender's art or the the you know like a really well a person that can really pour a really great pour you know there's a guy in the uk called wayne collins who had this incredible pouring technique and almost you know when you look at uh, famous people like the guy in boadas in in barcelona who did the throwing of the cocktail you know the guy invented that and you see it in in you know in 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 the flesh and it is quite a moving thing to see you know even though i'm you know not that in like geeky about it but you see mm. somebody you have an emotional response to something and you know when you you take that art element out of a performance let's say or a, or a you know delivery to a bunch of judges and there's no real bartending craft other than really great flavors that have been poured out of some test tubes i think we're kind of missing out on something there and, and it's yeah. kind of how do you kind of get a cocktail competition to find that 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 covers the full strata of what it is to be a really good bartender and that's why i never entered any because I knew in my heart of hearts that I was a, a good bartender because I genuinely tried to make people laugh all the time and make drinks and follow the specs of the venue and just get the job done from a drinks point mm. of view and quickly and efficiently and cleanly. But there's something that you can't capture. And I think bar, you know, cocktail comps are, need to kind of start to think about how do we capture their personalities and how do we capture their art and how good they are at 
pouring things and measuring things out and just being super smooth. You know, when you see a really great bartender at work, um, there was a guy who used to work at Middle Bar called Ben, who was a really inspiration for me. He kind of worked at Roadhouse in London for many years, a proper hardcore working flair bar, one of the still the busiest bar in London, mm. apparently. Uh, and Ben started working at the Middle Bar. I don't know if you remember the Middle Bar. It was just off Taylor yeah. Square. Yeah. Yeah. And when you saw him working, it was absolutely, flair made sense because everything he was doing, he, he was making drinks with it. And, yeah. it. and it was so incredibly good at it. And everything was so smooth. People would genuinely watch it and be absolutely entertained and yeah. unfortunately Flair went off on a different tangent where you'd walk into a restaurant and there'd be people practicing with empty bottles and it'd all just clatter and annoy everybody and it just became annoying mm. but uh, I remember Mark Brittle being like that do you remember Mark? no no right okay. he was one of those he was a very similar UK guy that right. opened up Cargo Lounge okay with like Andy Oaten and those, those yeah, guys yeah, and sure. he, was, he had this exactly the same approach where yeah. he was quite heavily into his flaring but it would really be functional flaring yeah. as opposed to yeah you know, just yeah, superfluous. Sure, shit. that's right. Well, the, the whole idea of it was, you know, not to bore your listeners too much, but the whole idea of flowers to sell more drinks by putting on a bit of a show. You mm. know, that's kind of how we were trained back then by the, the gentleman uh, that trained us. And, and you weren't allowed to throw anything around unless you were actually physically making a drink for someone, which is why the bars that, that did that did well were doing that approach. You know, it's when when the bars started to practice during service and everybody, it was almost like the movie, I was thinking of the movie Jaws, you know, you wait so long to see the shark, it's a great movie, but you see the shark at the beginning, it's shit. So you kind of, <laughs> can we just keep this all under wraps until someone actually orders something and then they get to see something quick as a flash. That was, oh, that was quite cool, you know. Uh, and that was good, you know. Mm. Uh, I must say, I used to work with a guy um, in Malaysia and he was a Swedish kickboxing champion and he used to bartend with his feet and he used to go into the box splits. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely incredible. And they'd drop down into the, you know, the, the unsupported splits on the floor and pull beers out of the fridge and snap up like a ballet dancer, you know. And you can imagine how, how incredible it was to watch this guy, you know. It was just super cool. So it all kind of made sense. But again, you know, it kind of fell out of favour. And now, of course, we're all about flavours and freshness and craft and things like that. But cocktail comps, it's difficult to capture all those elements of, mm. of people, which There's is why, that I, think kind of why I never entered it. Is that they, I think that it's that balance between brand on the one hand and customer on the other. Yeah. And you see in, I guess, as bartenders go from junior to middle to senior, they sometimes at the more junior end kind of tend to forget about the customer Correct. when they're in the bar environment. And yeah. obviously if you're trying to run a sustainable <clears throat> business, that's not awesome. Yeah. And and then you know that tends to get beaten out of them or washed out of them by the time they kind of graduate, yeah. as it were, yeah. sort of generalising too much. But... Yeah, I always uh, look at it and think you've really got to remember in any business who your fundamental customer is. That's right. And uh, the thing about the brand versus cust- uh, consumer balance is that the in, in good times and bad, the, the customer, if, as long as you're taking care of them, which may That's be right. flair bartending or just making a nice drink or, or leaving them the hell alone, yeah. which is... A skill that you know I think uh, underpins good hospitality businesses. Yeah, that's right. That's right. It's a, it's a difficult balance, and uh, yeah, not many people get it get it right. So we touched or touched on it before. Oh. Um, too many delicious bolters I've got us here. I don't strengths, but that's all right. Um, Captain Sensible. Captain Sensible, yes. Um, 
you're you have um, formed an exceptional global reputation. Um, touched on that. I was keen to understand whether my 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 impression of it is that probably none of that was strategic, but I not could at be all. Wrong. Not at all. No, no, you don't set out to. No, it's just not my nature, really. I think the turning point for me, uh, I guess, was the Imperial Shaker to some extent and the Syrup Company combined, where, you know, I got lots of friends in lots of different countries, which, you know, have you heard a story about two people joined the Navy, two sailors with no skills joined the Navy story, and both of them just say really great things about each other to everybody else. Yeah. So he's so good with the guns. <laughs> and then everybody goes, oh, he must be really good with the guns. And then he gets promoted and then they both end up becoming generals. You know, and it's kind of a, I think that's a very basic, crude way. Obviously, yeah. when you lived in London for 10 years and all your mates go and live in other countries and you had this really great time and connection with them and they saw that the way that you worked and your work ethic and the way that you are with people and, you know, mm. I think that kind of, helps to some extent by you know having lots of mates in lots of different parts of the world and then of course you put products out there i looked at um gary regan's product with his bitters years ago and thought it was quite clever that he put his name on the on the bottle you know and i thought well that's that's quite clever in a way and that wasn't strategic on my behalf it was just more putting a, a bartender that's got a bit of credibility on a brand makes sense so it's mm. kind of well why don't you do that then it, it, it grated on me to be honest with you because I didn't I didn't feel too comfortable with it at first yeah but we went with it anyway and, and of course that kind of became a, a brand of its own right and now that's you know quite a few countries around the world which is which is wonderful but I think from um, at the more recently I think the Imperial Shaker was of, of a build on kind of mammoth proportions and the fact that you know, someone like Dale DeGroff in New York is kind of, kind of started to work with me on it, and Dave Wondrich as well in, in, in Brooklyn, and they were kind of advising me on some of the more historical elements of the build, because it took five years from start to finish, so of course I'd been over to Tales a few, five times in, the, in that time. Can I stop you very quickly? Yeah, yeah. For people that have no idea what the Imperial oh, Shaker sorry, is, yeah, just sure. give, give a bit of insight. That's cool, man. Uh, in, a, in a single sentence, it's a 300 kilo cast iron, six foot tall uh, Victorian era cocktail shaking machine uh, right. and, and that's all it does it just shake you turn a crank at the front which is the size of a, of a bin lid and spin it round and there's, a, there's some gears inside that make the shakers go up uh, what they call it it's called like an elliptic, elliptical shake it makes a, a shaking rhythm right. with four shakers on the top so it's like the ultimate device for a Ramos gin fizz you can make 16 drinks at once on it and crank a handle and it shakes them in a very elegant kind of way and as a as a as a, <coughs> a tool yeah, it had been in existence. Before yeah, so we yeah right. they were, but they were very small. So they were bar top devices, uh, and I came across it in in a little bookstore in New Orleans, uh, a little line drawing, uh, an eighteenth century line drawing of right. it, of it. And as soon as I saw it, I thought that that would be great if that existed again. Imagine having this shaking machine on a bar top or something, you know. Yeah, and, right. and Dale was, and I met Dale there as well, and he was talking about doing the same thing. And I think he quit after trying to get some mop buckets and some mop handles to work when he kind of gave up, and I kind of <laughs> carried on uh, for to my detriment, maybe. Uh, anyway, so um, so that that's what that is, uh, and I think. Once it had become, because um, I, I, I made 12 of them, I, I got made redundant from a role I had and I, and, I, and I got a little bit of redundancy payout and I put all of the money into the build, which obviously didn't go down so well with my, my partner mm-hmm. slash wife. Because <laughs> of course, uh, I didn't have a buyer for them. So I'd literally put everything that I had into the build uh, with no, con- no, con- no, no customer. But thinking 
this has got to sell. It's awesome, you know. Mm, especially because uh, it's only 300 kilos, so you could just... Yeah, just wheel it around, around. yeah. <laughs> and it needs to be dr- drilled and bolted to a floor, you know, so it's really easy, easy use stuff. <laughs> yeah, everyone's got room for it. Yeah, them, right? come on. So, uh, so I ended up with 12 of them in my sunroom. Uh, in Coogee where I lived there and of course it, it made it difficult to leave the house so not only is the missus annoyed that I'd spent what was my, essentially could have been my you know could have lived on it for a few months um, and instead I'd spent it on these devices that nobody wanted and she couldn't get out of the house properly because of them so every day it was just this irritation and I sat on them for a year without a, without a customer thinking I'd you know wasted everything you're hoping that someone had you know buy them and ended up selling most of them to Tanqueray uh, who put them in into New York and, and Vegas and some like cities around the world but I think the key turning point to answer your question uh, in terms of you know having your name out there become more recognised it was when it went into the museum and I convinced Tanqueray to donate one uh, into the Museum of the American Cocktail in New Orleans which is where one sits today which is still unused and super pristine mm. and I think you know uh, once you kind of start to then of course you get picked up by a brand like Tanqueray and then you start, and I started making Tanqueray. So I just finished making uh, Tanqueray Lovage as a as a as a spin-off from that. So I got asked to go to Cameron Bridge, where Tanqueray is made in Scotland, and consulted on the liquid to to that. So then you kind of start to it opens up doors again. Not strategic. I just wanted to make these silly things mm. uh, or great things, uh, and then found found myself making gin, you know, for Tanqueray, which was an incredible uh, experience. So, yeah, you don't plan these things. I, I, yeah, genuinely. I'm sure some people do. I'm sure, you know, with the I advent the of social media. I think the insight would be that, like, some people would look at what you've done and think there was a strategy to it because it's been, from an outsider's perspective, quite successful. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, from my perspective, there is a coherency to the story, which is ultimately you're passionate about what you do and it manifests in mm. somewhat idiotic ways. Yes. Uh, or like <laughs> yeah, I'm just not that clever, Mike. <laughs> Just not that clever, mate. Yeah. But I want, to, I want to take you to a different tangent for a while. Yeah, if I sure. Can, please. Is that like, in terms of one of the things you touched on earlier, yeah. and <clears throat> I can hear the father in you coming out a little bit in terms of looking at the generation of bartenders or hospitality coming through. But you yourself, uh, family man. Yeah. Three kids. Three girls. Yeah. <laughs> it's a glitter war at home. It's just <laughs> glitter management. <laughs> Everything's got a sticker on it. <laughs> So, and, and, and I think that that's a, the transition to that from assumingly being out all hours to yeah. assuming being up all hours at home and, yeah. and that part and Quite kind of keeping it, all, yeah, keeping it all together. Can you throw some words of wisdom around that or how you, how you found... The how, transition from becoming the old me to the new me. Yeah, something like that. that. Yeah. Yeah. Again, um, I guess one way to look at it was uh, I, I, I found myself a hotbird. <laughs> and got her up the door. <laughs> just jokes. I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, it was. It's a baptism of fire, isn't it? Um, you know, again, not planned really. Uh, you kind of, you know, you. I met this girl who I was working with at the time when I was on the corporate side of things, and uh, she was the, in my eyes anyway. I'm sure it's all very subjective. The hot bird in the office, and I thought she and she she was from Scotland and very pretty and had the lovely accent. And I thought oh, she's just wonderful, you know. And uh, I played a very cool game mm. and uh, and you know uh, we kind of became a, an item and you know very happy now with three children but the transition from you know um, the bartending thing to fatherhood now it's, it's a very stark existence but I think 
what a lot of people don't know, I was actually, I wasn't really the massive partying type. Um, I'd, I've always liked beers and I've always liked, you know, but I've always been like a DVD and lots of beers at home kind of guy, like Mikey is. I mean, you know, Mikey's the same kind of, but we'll just watch Black Hole. You're about Mikey Enright. Enright, yeah. Yeah, I know. DVDs and Honestly. I used to live if, with him. Did and you? We never sat at home and watched a single DVD. Oh, right, so. Okay. Well, at the core, if you ask him, I think maybe the transition then maybe is a similar thing <laughs> without the kids. You know, we we both just generally like used to watch Black Hawk Down over and over again <laughs> with a six pack of Heineken and a bottle of whiskey. You know, and that was, yeah. that was kind of it. But you, I guess coming out of bartending after twenty years of being behind the bar, um, I really struggled with it. To be honest with you, uh, I, I was very tired and I, would, I was kind of socially overexposed in the role. Where you, you, I was quite a patient person, and I and I would suffer fools really well over the bar because it's part. You're like babysitting when you're bartending, and in my time anyway, you're just kind of dealing with a lot of drunk people and a lot of opinions and lots of different types of people, famous and non-famous. You know, all, all of them, uh, and you kind of socially burn out a little bit. But mm. I kind of I just enjoyed the bartending so much. I just loved it and just kept going. And then one day, you just kind of just kind of feel a bit too tired to physically do the job at, at hand and um, when I started to work on uh, on the brand side of things with Maxim I, I really struggled on like the Thursday, Friday, Saturday night by not having anything to do in, other than go out to bars and sit and watch my mates work <laughs> so you, you go for this like weird thing where you mm. you know you kind of got out and and of course queuing I'd never queued for anything before <laughs> so you go shopping on a Monday morning you know, and there's nobody anywhere. So you kind of, this is just perfect for me, you know. And now, of course, I have to queue on Saturdays for things. And it's because everybody else is off as well. And the transition <laughs> for me was all about queuing, you know, not to get in bars and things like that, nothing like that. You know, we know someone. It's just more like general day-to-day stuff I, I really struggled with. It's like, Christ almighty, where have all these people come from? Because yeah. <laughs> I'd be shopping in the heart of London on a Monday morning when there's no one around and you get the full reign of the city, you know. Yeah. So I, I, I struggle with that bit. Yeah, uh, interestingly, but the fatherdom piece, of course, uh, as you know, as you're a father yourself, mainly, it's ninety nine percent hard work and one percent of absolute joy. But the one percent joy somehow wins you over the rest of the of the toughness of it. You know, yeah, it does. And I think, like looking at it from a, you know, you've got a. Uh, is it fair to say that some of the things like uh, the the syrups, the vodka, and yeah, pass, not passive income, but like there's a, you don't need to be on the tools in order to derive an income. Um, and that's sort of been a good way of balancing out yeah. your passion for the industry. and Yeah. Yeah, yeah just, I'm still on the tools though, Mike. Mm-hmm. As, you, as you've been to a few yeah. events that we kind of produce, yeah. I'm still very much on the tools because yeah. Yeah, I guess... Um, I just still genuinely enjoy getting my hands dirty yeah. and uh, and having arguments in loading docks with with people in high vis vests. You know, yeah. it's uh, yeah. you've got something to whinge about at the weekend. Yeah. So if you sit at home just kind of moving Excel spreadsheets around, you've kind of got no chat. You yeah. know, so it's kind of like <laughs> I can't believe this guy today. He wouldn't let me in the loading dock because I didn't have a pre prepared high vis vest on. <laughs> we saw you chat the other weekend night. barbecues. Yeah. We saw you the other night at the HM Awards, yeah. and I was actually surprised in a very good way to see you there sitting the bar up. Humping buckets of <laughs> yeah, no. espresso martini around. <laughs> and dealing de- de- with cold form customers, and I'm not talking about me, but there was... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah, that's On right. a really bad but carpet. I must say the chat to that customer was probably some of the best I've ever heard, but um, <laughs> the, uh, the um, I guess 
this 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 appears to be still that desire to be there obviously otherwise you wouldn't have been you could quite easily have had someone else there yeah, doing that for yeah. you i think it would just as an agency with the drink cabinet we just pride ourselves on having everything absolutely 100 percent right and yeah. as soon as you start to outsource things sometimes especially in drinks world you know, it's a, such a highly opinionated space. Everybody starts to cut corners very quickly when you're not there. Yeah. And of course, drinks are a very opinionated thing, especially with corporate sponsors and you know corporate people being there. And everybody's had high awareness to drinks and what the quality ones look like. It's only a, a few mils to an overfilled drink, and suddenly it, it's crap. You know, and it's go well. How do you if you're not there to just manage that? And it kind of helps stops our business from scaling to some extent. But mm-hmm. we'd rather just be able to keep delivering good quality products at these sorts of events by being there and just making sure it's all great and we love it so it's kind of kind of makes sense it's all a bit uh, it's all shotgun stuff to be honest with you again I, I tried to create a whip document for myself with like you know a whiteboard and a, or then I moved away from that and used mm. it like a word document to talk think and remind myself of all the things that I'm doing but I've I re- we- we- re- weirdly I found myself not having time to to read it or kind of go back oh fuck the work document I've got time to fuck about so I just kind of like bumble through the week really I'm just not very organised uh, as it's I'm super organised and super highly detailed in everything that I'm doing but in terms of the organisation of my week it's not it's just because we do still do lots of training we still teach people you know about beer and coffee and wine and spirits and customer service at a decent scale so still kind of Monday mornings for me I'll be out west uh, talking to pub, pub people uh, about, you know, benefits of using a coaster to greet people with and things like that. We <laughs> yeah. put in some profitable hospitality models for people to talk to, you know, spirits a little bit more economically for the bar. You know, do you want leading with a nicer product first instead of doing the upselling thing? So then, you know, and then Tuesday, it's generally admin. Yeah. Trying to get on top of all that. And then you start to roll through the week with a few projects project things so you know be it, be it vodka soda and or syrup or the imperial business is still cranking on no yeah. pun intended and as you will start to get towards the end of the week the events start to come through and then of course it's you know um, getting ready for event time and then depending on the weekend if there's one on the weekend you're doing that and then sometimes you're forgetting that you've got four people in Perth doing a whiskey tasting and you'd forgotten all about it and they're phoning to say where's the ice and you go shit I forgot <laughs> whiskey tasting in Perth I forgot all about it so you're just kind of like you know but so thankfully I, it's four hours behind or something thank, so you can make yeah, it four years it. four years <laughs> behind yeah, yeah so still two thousand four extra hours on every deadline that's there, brilliant then. isn't it god bless Perth <laughs> so yeah uh, it's a bit it's a bit of a shotgun start most of the time and of course trying to balance the, the fatherdom piece too mm. uh, with three children at home are very you know obviously demanding of my attention now they get to an age where they, they want to they like have time slots with dad to show me their new things whether it's glitter. a drawing or a wheels on the heels or whatever did you it keep is. one of the imperial cocktail shakers at home so you could crank that while you're i did until recently that. yeah i kept a hold of the first one and that was uh, the best one uh, the first imperial shaker would kind of obviously it was a prototype but we'd over engineered it so it was never ever going to need anything ever and we kind of had to kind of crunch a bit of cost as we got further into other units uh, but I had it for I was drying nappies on it and stuff like that for quite some time 
but uh, I, ke- I kept it for uh, quite a few years and then uh, the guys over in uh, in Singapore with the Atlas Bar I'm sure you've all seen that yeah, for the listeners that don't know it it's got a gin tower which is it used to be a wine tower with these angels on on, on bungee cords bouncing around and the guys at EC Proof had taken over uh, the operations and the consultancy then to put you know world's biggest gin collection have got a gin from literally any gin that exists it's there it's quite a thing to behold them mm. they they approached me and said can we have your imperial shake and we'll put a, we'll give you a plaque so you can have your name immortalized in the venue we'll put a plaque on the wall and we'll build you this big marble plinth and we'll put it on there and we're going to do ramos lunches with it ah. and i thought well it's not doing me any favors in my house <laughs> you know i'm literally like <laughs> trying shirts on it you know it's not been used it's just kind of in the way uh, so I sold it to them, and, it, and it's in there. Uh, it's over in the Atlas. So I did keep one, but I do have a champion shaker, which is on my desk at work, just to kind of, you know, make stuff on every now and again. People come in and lose their fingers on that when they come and talk to me and try and crank it at the same time. So, yeah, kept a few of them. And then any new projects you're working on at the moment? Are you doing something new in Singapore? Did I? Yeah, so uh, really great win for us. Um, I guess more from a... I guess, I don't know, as you get older, you kind of try and think, start to think about your legacy to some extent and um, your, you know, your impact that you've had realistically, not just, you know, industry hearsay. Uh, but we uh, were approached to be the grenadine supplier for the new Singapore sling. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the guys who are running that now, the EC Proof guys, are just such great operators. They've um, taken over the Raffles operation and many others, Atlas being one of them. And they've just said to Raffles, you know, you're spending billions of dollars restoring this iconic hotel and you've got the world's shittiest drink you know it's kind of like <laughs> gin, gin and grenadine and lemon juice and a few other ingredients in there you know benedictine etc and it, what everybody went to raffles to because you do right you go there and then you complain that the drink's crap and you're like well why why is this you know so they've gone to them and said exactly that this is the inside everybody comes anyway but your drink's a bit bit average because you just you know whatever so they've kind of re-engineered the drink and now it tastes absolutely fantastic because uh, I'm sure the listeners will probably know Jason Williams which mm. uh, uh, he's he's made a, a gin specific, specifically for it and all the other ingredients have pretty much stayed the same but they've got like real ingredients in there and craft ingredients in there and have kind of read on the specs and we were lucky enough to become the grenadine pour which uh, when you think about uh, 3,000 cocktails a day uh, with 15 mils and it kind of starts to scale up very quickly mm. uh, and to be able to have a, a product in the market now we're going to you know rewrap our grenadine with singapore sling grenadine in all the other markets because now it's like the ultimate calling card for a product to say well we're in this we're in this drink this is the grenadine that people use it's tastes like grenadine <laughs> it's <laughs> like a, a really good one <laughs> so you know uh, so that was uh, one of the bigger projects and 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 in, in line with that um the raffles people came to me and they said would you be able to build us a, a sling shaker machine so we which is what we've been working on, and uh, and it's uh, it's in there now working. We haven't actually announced its its presence yet uh, officially. Apart, I guess this is it today, um, but it's a, a bar top mounted shaker with six shaking vessels on it, uh, and of course it, it's a wonderful thing. It's uh, so it's just been installed as we speak. So yeah, sounds incredibly um, Instagrammable. It's pretty Instagrammable. And what's great about those devices, um, not to feather my own nest with positive stories, but they're just. Um, they help people understand what drinks are. Oh, hello. What's going on here? Oh, this, oh uh, on? <laughs> <laughs> Just talking about you. Oh, really? Yeah. Finally remembered to mention it. <laughs> 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 
Here it is. Oh, I wish oh, yeah. I had brought the car. I'm good, mate. That's yeah. the oh, way I was thinking exactly the same thing. Yeah, That's been yeah. one hill of the car setup that has. <laughs> yeah. I actually didn't even know it's going. It's probably, it's it's probably a good thing. Pull up a pew. Wow. So, yeah, right. for, listeners, um, for listeners, someone's just crashed the podcast. Um, it is none other than um, Mikey Emright. Uh, the two of them are holding hands as we speak, embracing. <laughs> it's a long it's, embrace. It's, it's wonderful to behold. <laughs> Mikey, uh, welcome to the Back of House podcast. Oh yeah, thank you very much. <laughs> You've turned you smell fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> All you listeners out there. <laughs> <laughs> We, we are at the welcome, and unfortunately for Heineken, there is no Heineken on pour here. So we're all sat here drinking craft beers now. Balter, thank you very much. And Mikey's turned up with a bottle of whiskey, Jason. Uh, not yours, but um, someone that, uh, not that you've done a whiskey, but I think uh, we're about to enjoy that alongside our, our, our beers. Dutch yeah. single rye whiskey, wow. Have we got Black Hawk down, ready to go on the television? Battleships, mate. Battleships is a new Black Hawk down. Apart from that boring bit at the beginning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just fast forward. Oh, here we go. This is a really good idea or a bad idea? The bird's not hot enough, is she? Just a little bit rough, yeah. What's happening, Wacky? No helicopters. No shell shower. Slipped off from work, you know? Yeah. No one knows where I am. It's not like it'll come out in a couple of weeks. I'll find out there. Well, Zach is here. They were growing a rave. So we've been listening to Jason tell us about, I guess, how you guys came into contact and then how we turned up here after an extended stint in Thailand where he came back very shagged, I mean very tired, and uh, he was it saw you at the Grand Pacific uh, Blue Room and, uh, and then it's been uh, on for young and old ever since. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah I was talking about a cock and bottle and uh, everything, mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Cock. Yeah, the cock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, 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 I, I do recall that, actually. I mean, remember, um, I was travelling when Jason was still in the UK, and I remember that um, I was backpacking around Australia. This is before I started the Grand Pacific Blue Room. And I was staying at a campsite on the Gold Coast, very stylish. <laughs> and it was pissing it down and, and rainy and windy and everything. And I called them up and I said, mate, when are you coming over? <laughs> it's, it's awesome here. <laughs> and I got back in my tent. <laughs> And I was driving across the M62 from Leeds, <laughs> Leeds to Hull in a transit van for the car batteries or something. I forget what I was doing. Similar weather, I'm sure. Yeah, awful. Yeah. I was just about to ask you before Mikey inter- interrupted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually a question for both of you pretty, pretty well, I guess. Um, I kept thinking while you were talking, you know, we were talking about you setting up a cocktail event at the HM Awards. Yeah. And then we're What's talking the about... Your globe, your involvement in Atlas Bar, and then we're talking about like London, New York. It's it's a how do you manage going from such a local focus? And Mikey would have exactly the same thing venues here, but then being so aware of what's happening all around the world. Like, is that how does that happen? Are you getting a lot of people reaching out to you to have those kind of interactions, or is it the kind of thing that you're seeking out to 
get out and get involved is it just like going to tales of the cocktail and you're just meeting different people all the time yeah, and you, you, I forgot about you Marky but I generally like running in the opposite direction at the moment <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to go to anything <laughs> but uh, no you just kind of uh, yeah people contact you all the time for, to get involved in certain things you yeah. know, but I guess uh, more recently for me obviously being a father it's just not really that possible obviously with biz- businesses and, and everything else so I genuinely try not to go to much at all uh you know, I haven't been to Tales for a couple of years for that very reason, you know, leaving. Mm. I think, uh, I don't know whether my missus will listen to this, but going away in the heart of July, leaving her alone with three kids to get drunk in New Orleans for a week, it never really flies that well when you get back. Yeah. So you're kind of paying a higher psychic price for a month, uh, you know, with, with screaming kids and, you know, all that kind of thing. So, yeah, I, I, I for me personally, I don't go out seeking to be uh, into, get on an international stage and talk. So I'm actually genuinely petrified about public speaking. I don't know where people know Are that. You? But yeah, genuinely, I put. I'm okay at it because I do the hard work prior. Yeah. But uh, I, I, I genuinely don't like it. I'd rather, you know. If I could grow a beard, I'd go and live on a farm and grow a beard and never to be seen again. <laughs> 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 to be honest, but it's just the industry, right? So yeah. we, we all we're all a part of it, and uh, you know, we uh, we're I guess we're we're, we're so entrenched that uh, mm. you know it's difficult to think about doing anything else. Really. Mm. Um, yeah, no, I agree. I think uh, from my side, you know, I don't get that many offers to go overseas and stuff like that so when I do it generally take them mm. <laughs> right yeah so, you know but also um, I suppose the you know the inspiration that you get from whichever country you're in and stuff like that you can get quite a lot from amazing yeah um, you know whichever bars you go to generally you don't see stuff in bars that you think oh that's really cool I'll do that in Sydney it'll be something that'll be you know something that you would never expect um, and then basically, I suppose, like, you know, the global bar community and stuff like that, it's obviously growing, it's, you know, billion dollar industry and stuff. But it, it is good to network and stuff. But it's, you know, but like Jason, uh, I agree, it does get a bit heavy. You know, mm. like, you know, yeah, like Tales of the Cocktail, for example, there's a, obviously it's all held at the Monteleone Hotel, right in the heart of the French Quarter in New Orleans. I don't know if anybody's been. And I won't lie to you, we, we spent the best part of three or four days in a small shit pub across the road from the hallway. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't go to anything. <laughs> spent <laughs> drinking greyhounds, vodka and grapefruit juice for a, for a couple of days. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. And Wayne, Collins, Wayne Collins did this uh, seminar on the history of gin in London and he knows it inside out. And um, I didn't make it to a seminar, but I managed to catch him in a catch up with in a in a dive bar and we sat there and he recited the whole lot so, <laughs> so they have to sit with 100 people had some wings and some beers <laughs> are you here for tails <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah yeah does that answer your question yeah it does okay thanks no no worries i don't know whether we did are you guys working on anything together at the moment? Like, is there any collaborations or... Sobriety. Uh, sobriety. <laughs> yeah, we're working on that. Yeah. Uh, no, we're not collabing on anything at the moment, no. Because you were involved yeah. from a business perspective, is that correct? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, both of us were both involved, sorry, we were both involved in each other's businesses. Uh, so Mikey was a founder of the Drink Cabinet. Right. Um, and I was a part of the barbershop. 
yeah, yeah. When we first kind of started to kick the idea around of having, you know, I'll speak for you. Uh, yeah. The idea was to reverse the two spaces, so it was the idea to have a, you know, barbers with references to drinking in the front and bar in the back, which was referencing barbering, yeah. and it kind of evolved into both being independent barbering and bar spaces, and very yeah. successfully too. It's probably a good job I left. So, uh, so yeah, uh, that was probably yeah. the last time. Yeah, right. Things together, yeah. Here's a little song I wrote You might want to sing it note for note Don't worry Be happy In every life we have some trouble So um, with two of the world's most highly recognised bar Legends, really. I think you're both actually recipients of the yeah. Outstanding Contribution yeah, yeah, yeah. Award yeah? Yeah. last year and this year. Yeah. Is yeah. that right? Yeah, yeah that's region. right. Yeah. Um, it would be remiss of us not to ask you guys, I guess, your perspective of what's happening globally within the industry. And, yeah. you know, how, I guess Mike, you just got back from a trip. Yeah. yeah. What were you seeing overseas? Um, well, we went to Herno in Sweden, which is like... Um, I think it's almost Sweden's only gin. Yeah. Um, and like they use a lot of their native botanicals, which is quite interesting, a lot of foraging, which is, I suppose, they're doing it everywhere, right? But um, but I thought it was really cool how they did their cocktail comp, um, which was quite creative, where the bartenders had to go foraging and all they had was like gin, honey, and water to make their drink. So cool. there was no, no citrus, no sherries, no, no, you know, so they, basically had to use a lot of natural ingredients. Um, so I thought that was really cool. Um, and then I was in Cognac, uh, you know, which is a great place, obviously, uh, where some great liquid. Um, but like their small bar scene seems to be growing um, and it's a, it's a pretty small um, spot as Cognac. Uh, so, but they've got some like little cool bars and, but also, you know, a guy that used to work for me, he, he lives in Cognac now and, and so I managed to catch up with him and that was really cool because you know, how often am I going to go through cognac and, and catch yeah. up with friends? So I suppose like that is pretty cool, you know, where I kind of, you know, I went to cognac and caught up with a really old friend and that's pretty, you know, it's, it's really, that's the coolest part of the industry, I think, really. Yeah. Um, in terms of any trends and stuff like that that I saw, um, it's all the same shit, really. <laughs> <laughs> Penny farthings in the east. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, it is you know, the cocktails are definitely, you know, like next level, you know, yeah. like strange ingredients and, and how they come to, you know, to extract a flavour um, is pretty cool out there. Um, and it's a real competitive market, you know, you can get a decent cocktail in most decent mm. bars, you know, most shit bars as well, right, these mm. days. So um, I think, you know, it is, it is really competitive and, and people, just, I mean, you know, there's that many bar takeovers, it's, you know, it makes yeah. sure dudes run their bar, really, <laughs> um, you know, and we're guilty of that too. Um, but, you know, you look at the top 50 and, you know, the top 50 bars are all doing bar takeovers around the world. Like, you know. That's a phenomenon, know. isn't it? Yeah, and, and Dante is like, they have a different bar in a different part of the world almost weekly. So you kind of go, you know, like, they really do put themselves out there to the market, mm. you know, so. Um, does it make it, does it make sense commercially to do these? Obviously there's PR there, 
commercially to have your key people out of the bar that people are going to, you know, it's like the PDT one at mm. Black Pearl was a pretty successful event by all accounts, but to have people of that calibre yeah. out of your bar in whatever country. I mean, it, it, it is tough because, you know, you kind of, you are losing key staff, people, like you say, massive, yeah, and, you know, to go and do a pop-up somewhere, but, you know, big brands, you know, like um, liquor brands or hotel brands, they will pay, you know, because yeah. that bar will add credibility to their the lobby of the new hotel or, you know, credibility to their, you know, their new vodka or gin or whatever it may be. Um, I know that Dante, um, they they literally have a proposal and they, you know, they kind of, they put it out there and stuff and brands do pay for those guys. So, so there is a financial component, great promotional component to it, right? As a marketing, as a marketing side of it. Um, and also, you know, your staff get to travel. Mm. So you think it's a good thing? I think it's really? a good thing, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I do, yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, for you to stay relevant as well, yeah. you know, if you've got a fairly decent-ish bar, you kind of got to put it out yeah. there on the global map. And yeah, you've if you're relying on Pizza Wednesdays, you're screwed, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you are in a world-recognised yeah. venue. Do you do it, or what's your approach to it? Like, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Black Black Hawk Down doesn't watch itself. <laughs> Why don't you do that? Have I mean, you had employees only recently? Didn't you already bartender from? Am I yeah, we that wrong? we we had a. Um, fuck, it's going back a while actually, but we had employees only. Dushan yeah. came over and Steve Schneider. Yeah. So they, to be honest, it was probably one of the first-ish takeovers. Yeah. I think in Australia from a big brand like that anyway, like yeah. a big New York brand. Um, you know, we've got we've actually got a takeover on um, Tuesday from um, a bar called Strangers Bar in Gothenburg. Yeah. Uh, and there's a bit of a trend at the moment, you know, sort of like Nordic spirit and flavours and stuff like that. And it's yep. happening, you know, um, in our little world anyway. Uh, it's mm. definitely not happening to the masses. Not everyone, no one still knows what Aquavit is. So, what is it? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Never even heard that word. <laughs> and who cares? <laughs> but just jokes. I suppose from our side, you know, like, you know, there's that trend happening, and this guy is in town, and he's going to do, he's going to come and make us, you know, as we're drinking yeah. a few hours and stuff. Um, you know, fuck, how many people know where Gothenburg is? You know what I mean? Like, it's, is it near Gothenburg? Last <laughs> yeah. yeah. well, Sweden. So it's just gone backwards. We had a podcast the other day, and someone brought up. Maybe it was you. Um, and we can cut this out. But yeah, yeah. Seedlip. Yeah. As a gin oh, yeah. man. Yeah. What are your thoughts on non-alcoholic gin? I think it's fucking phenomenal. Really? Yeah, personally. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I, I suppose. Mr. I su- <laughs> Mr. Crawley, do you reckon your vodka and would be better as water and? Yeah, mate, bottles of soda. Well, sparkling water's trending, so yeah, maybe we should just take the vodka out of it. Well, you, no, honestly, in all, in all honesty, with seed lip, I think it's a fucking marketing is great. You yeah, know what I mean? As a product, what are you? As a product, I think it's great if. If you're a non-drinker or mm. or you don't you can't drink or whatever reason you don't drink alcohol, yeah. then it just means that you're buying into a similar experience, yeah, without drinking basically alcohol. So, you know, <coughs> what else can you drink? Water, soft drinks, you know, Sugary, fizzies, juices, yeah, you know, mocktails, yeah. like you know what I mean. So I think that. it just fills that market. 
and people are willing to spend ten dollars on a seed living tonic. So it's good for you know from a bar owner point of view, and it's good you know from an experience point of view for somebody that's a non-drinker. Do you have any insight as to what the um, the production costs are for them? I know this is probably a little bit tangential, but for for a business to create seed lip. I'm just wondering, like no, if, if you can sell it as an operator, sell that for ten bucks. So, what are you buying a bottle of seed lip for, as a as a bar owner, for example? Well, what, why the margins we, why, the same? Like it, it, the margins are the same. I right. think it's forty dollars a bottle in Australia. Yeah, right. <coughs> Good luck. From seed lip, from seedless point of view, there's like there's no uh, big alcohol tax, right? Totally. You can yeah. sell it anywhere. So that's kind of me. It's yeah. like surely it. it should be twenty yeah. bucks or yeah. <clears throat> no, but they've obviously priced it so that you know that it appears you know that it is like a kind of a substitute premium, premium spirit for an yeah. alcohol drink, right? So if you have a seed lip and tonic, you know, let's just say if you charge ten dollars or five dollars, somebody would feel. I know it sounds a bit crazy, but they feel like they're buying into the experience. I suppose well, yeah, yeah, paying ten dollars, yeah, I suppose, yeah, 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 five dollars. So by the, by the same water. token, and by the same token, from a cost of goods point of view, I don't know anything about seed lip from that point. But I can say, as a as a brand owner of a couple of liquids in the market, you know, if you look at something like vodka soda, it's still incredibly expensive to produce, even though you might say it's it's vodka and soda in a can. But the costs are incredible, and of course, mm. duty. Um, but in yeah. terms of like something like seed lip, which is much more complex, yeah, you're still apart from the excise piece, especially here in Australia, it's, you'd probably be surprised as to how much that liquid costs are put together mm. with, the, with the way that they're making it and the, and, the, yeah. and the botanicals that they're using, plus all the cost of business, of servicing accounts, boxes and labels and printing. Yeah, of course. It yeah, just yeah, adds yeah. up, you know, it really comes out of nowhere and yeah. hidden cost is at every turn with these things. The, the actual liquid is probably the cheapest <coughs> component. No there, doubt. Right? And they're probably lightly, isn't it? Mm. And then Claire Warner's wages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you've got the random bastards that go out there. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and you've got a hell of a team, right? Yeah, that pretty awesome. Working on it, so they don't come cheap. Yeah. And how's Duke going? Are you, um, I was being to someone. Yeah. I don't know, yesterday. maybe we should ask Mike. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. He's, I he spends more time in there than me. still around, you would be the mayor of uh, the Duke, 100%. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the mayor of Parallel's <laughs> Pitch, pitch on the wall and a little plaque <laughs> and a church pews. A hey, brass statue, mate. So, so, what was the question? How's it going? How's it going? Yeah. I guess the next question was are you looking at another venue anytime soon? Oh, um, Duke class going great. Um, you know, it's we're, we're we're not even a year into trading yet, uh, so we're really happy and stuff like that. Um, you know, we've got still obviously mountains of work to do and stuff to keep it evolved and stuff like that. Um, but you know, as long as we stay true to the concept, that's all that matters from our side. In terms of future projects, um, in terms of venue wise, not a lot at the moment. Um, we're just obviously paying off the. Um, you know, trying to pay off the debt, you know, from building building mm. it, it wasn't cheap, um, which is what you get. And then I'm kind of doing a few other little side projects, um, done like the liquid for a mixer label um, in the UK, which launches. That looks really good. Do you like it? Yeah, yeah it looks yeah. awesome. Yeah, well, it was, it was it's kind of like, it was an interesting one because I didn't know, A, whether I had the time to do it and yeah. whether I wanted to be involved in something like that. And then, 
and now it's kind of all happened it's actually been a really great experience uh, it's been so just to explain for listeners yeah. it's a, an artisanal mixes range is that yeah yes yeah, so tonic water uh, yeah. smoke <clears throat> smoke cola uh, we've done a bunch of different flavoured tonics as well, which is quite new for the Australian market. That makes sense. Uh, there's only Fever Tree that are kind of doing it. Mm. Um, the UK market is flying in that area in terms of flavoured tonics and stuff. Like It's just ridiculous. Like Every other table in a pub has a bottle of tonic on the table. Really? Like, it's, it's that. The gym craze is just phenomenal. Um, so, you know... We launched in the UK two, three months ago. Um, we've already got in Harvey Nicks and some premium stores like that, which is awesome. There's a really good company, a uh, distributor there called Love Drinks. Their work, they, they've oh, done an incredible really job. Yeah. Um, and then we're launching it here uh, at the end of November. So we'll just see the Australian market is a little bit behind and kind of flavoured tonics and stuff. Mm. So, But yeah, no, I've just been working on that and then doing a, some consultancy for a hotel in, in uh, Tasmania. Cool. It's a five-year project, so and it's going to be off the hook as well. It's like the the people that are behind it are pretty next level. Mm. Yeah, yeah. They did. I'll share something that they told me the other day, which I thought was pretty cool. They um, they did like this dinner thing um, in their museum, and what they did is they really like to test people's minds. So they actually served soup as the entree with a spoon with a hole in it. <laughs> 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 I thought you were going to say they've got Michael Schumacher walking. But, uh, that's, that's even better. Yeah, so so for them it was like a social experiment to see what they would do, right? And obviously, you know, people just like kind of fucking got it, right? And then just picked up the bowl and drank from the bowl. So it's a twist on the bottomless glass, I guess. Yeah. Wowzers. Try and get that in your mouth. <laughs> Here's an attempt to inject something sensible into this podcast, but yeah. the thing that is occurring to me while we're listening to both of you uh, here is that there's, an, I mean, what you're both doing indirectly is taking a well-crafted product out of this market to a global audience. Mm-hmm. Like that's the, which in a small marketplace like Australia is a way of, I guess, opening up new revenue streams. And, yeah. Um, and I, I, I guess I can't help but wonder whether that, that international perspective that you've brought from time abroad or obviously growing up in the UK yeah. um, has kind of helped you think more widely about how to exploit like your craft. Um, Do you ever think about it that way? Not really. That's what an educated person would think. <laughs> uh, I think... Uh, for, well, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> for me, uh, it's always, I think for me, I think you're aware of global markets. So you've, you obviously we've all travelled loads and you know, you've seen what's going on. Mm. I don't think you strategically taper anything towards it. I think if you create a good product, it'll work in any market. Yeah, personally speaking, if that's kind of what you, what you mean. And, yeah, and I then, so. yeah. Uh, but you are, a, I think an awareness breeds confidence. So that's right. that's right. what you mean. So you can kind of go, well, this would certainly work in this market, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And what's difficult is to reverse it. So I'd lo- I've always wanted to do a McSolly's bar in in Sydney. Mm. I don't know if you're, the listeners are aware of McSolly's. It's New York's oldest alehouse, and they only serve light and dark beer, and that's it. 
Right. And it's 300 years old. And it's, an, it's probably the, my favourite bar in the whole world. It's absolutely magnificent. It's, you know, it's full of old chicken bows. It gets closed down all the time for, uh, you know, bad practice. But they only serve beers in, in halves and they only serve light and dark. And there's nothing else, even though you could potentially go and know the girl and think, but they just get a glass of wine for the missus. And they're like, nah. No seedless. There's, 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 there's just no seedless. It's just light and dark. And that's it. And you, you kind of go, well, wouldn't it be wonderful to do a, a McSolis here? But I just don't know whether to reverse it, you know, yeah, yeah, would, yeah. It, would it work? So does do things coming in here suffer, you know, the, the localization piece? But uh, but certainly knowledge breeds a bit of confidence in other markets to push yeah. certain products. And obviously the, the grenadine and the Singapore things are the yeah, example. Yeah, that's, that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. so that, that kind of, you know, you know that would make sense. Uh, and then it's down to luck and dollars. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, folks. Here's a story about Minnie the Moocher. She was a low-down, huge coocher. She was the roughest, toughest, frail. Tensi, you've got to understand why we like to wrap up each podcast. And since you're both here, let's uh, pick both of those great brains on the other side of the table. <laughs> so, um, uh, your favourite artist or album? Um, I'd have to be Nick Drake. Um, simple reason uh, just awesome guitarist and he killed himself fair play <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I think um, I suppose the most current is probably Peking Duck quite liking their stuff it's a bit hip mate yeah yeah it's a bit hip oh, I, met Jesus. Them, I met them came in the pub oh that's so what, that's why so we've got you a, around the do, you call, do, you call, do you call it a pub now do you call it a pub no <laughs> so yeah so they came in the bar <laughs> that's a Duke of Clarence for anyone who's wondering what the in joke's about so Big and Duck awesome yeah I think it's pretty cool what, yeah. what genre of music is it, it it's kind of a um, Bordering on it's pop not, and dance, yeah, yeah it's a bit it's pop not, and dance, it's not folk and blues, then. bit oasis kind of, oh yeah, a little bit, no, <laughs> what? oasis. Do you, you listen to the B sides? No, 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 definitely not. Okay. No, probably, probably yeah, probably a bit more pop. Fairly melodic, I guess. Really yeah. That's the only thing we've got. A little bit dance. Is it on music? Triple J, you'll find them on Triple J pretty regularly. Where to find the last common denominator of what music is? I only listen to Smooth FM. Um, do you? Love some disco notifications? Mumble, mumble, mumble. This is what this is turning into. Jen, so we'll stick with you, Mikey. Book or podcast that you'd recommend? Oh, it'd have to be Peter Kay's autobiography. Oh, strong recommendation. Why is that? He's from his side of the, the Pennines. funniest person in the world. <laughs> right. And his book, yeah, it talks about his childhood and stuff like that. So this, oh, but that's hilarious. This lot, it is very, very funny. And uh, some familiarities there. Bookwise, um, Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance by Robert Persig. Um, six written as a is this written in the late sixties, so it's um, a bit trippy uh, about a man's relationship with the universe and what trying to define what quality is. It's very very cool. All right. Yeah. Luke, do you like the way that whenever Jason answers a question, you're not sure, sure whether he's taking I, the piss or not? Sure he's taking the piss. I'm not. I'm no, it's true. It's, it's true. true. I've heard that one before. <laughs> yeah. no, it's, it's a great read. I still think you're taking it. No, I'm not. It's a, it's a real. It's a great book. It's a Pulitzer Prize winner, man. We'll stick with you, Jason. In response to the next question, and you're not allowed to mention seed lip. Um, okay. Your favourite drink right now? Oh, have to be. Uh, have to be the uh, speckled hen of the Duke of Clarence. 
<laughs> Good answer. That was uh, my answer. <laughs> <laughs> what, what it is. <laughs> it is though, isn't it? It's just yeah, amazing. Very tasty. Hand pulled beer on it. Yeah. Mikey? I still think he's hey, I, To be honest, I've, <laughs> since, since I went to Cognac, I'm enjoying Cognac at the moment. Yeah. yeah. Anything in particular? Um, I'm liking uh, Hein um, oh, yeah. Homage, mm. which is uh, basically uh, the barrels are, uh, it's, aged in, it's aged in Bristol in the UK. And then ship he's from Dorset, wasn't he? He's from Dorset, Mr. Yeah. Hein, yeah. Mr. Hein, married into the married into the family, like all of them. Yeah, yeah. they all ended up owning cognac houses and married into the into the families. Hennessy, yeah. yeah, they yeah. all did it. And the owner of knowledge pouring out. They yeah. all, they all and the owner of Martel comes watch. from the Hour Man. Yeah, that's right. They all this just married into the family. It's bloody marvellous. Yeah, I wish I didn't drive. Alongside <laughs> the, the Balter Captain Sensible, we're putting away some Millstone single rye whiskey. Um, now, uh, and in response to this, you can't use any of your own venues, but your favourite venue, Mikey Emery. Um, oh, don't Oh, fuck, that's a tough of all, one. Of all time. That would be your favourite venue, surely. There's a lot of um, Yeah. That's the one we go um, to the most. It's such a cracking <laughs> called Tracy's in Soho. No, I'm joking. I'm not going to pull out Tracy's. Tracy's. Terrible. Um, favourite bar of all Coronation. time. That's really tough. Um, bar of all time. Wow, that's a big one. Very tough. Either of you can answer. Go on, you go first, time. mate. Uh, I'd have to say Café de Doctor in Amsterdam. It's uh, probably the most epic place you'll have. A solid silver bar, 400-something years old. Uh, rope, shipping rope-sized cobwebs in the ceiling. And, uh, and it only serves Jennifer on tap. But, and the owner has his three-course meal on, it, on the bar top every night <laughs> while he's serving people with, with a ciggy. So, uh, it's, uh, it's quite a thing. Yeah, that's that's really really cool. It's Dave Wondrich's favourite bar, also. He, he kind of introduced us to it. It's 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 absolutely ridiculously old and just remarkable. What you how how well we used to make things when you think of a solid silver standalone bar with yeah. chilled drawers. Uh, just as refrigeration was created, it's just outstanding. Very very cool. Awesome. Um, it's it's tough one because obviously you've got a top ten list, but I'll probably say. Back and out uh, on a Sunday oh, in New Orleans. It's yeah, pretty it's spectacular. Yeah, that's pretty. That's a good one. Yeah, yeah broken furniture. Yeah. You know, really hot heat. Show. Obviously, the, the 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 heat of the New Orleans summer mm. and, and live jazz, jazz, band, and, live and, jazz. And, and it's always just the most. And all the furniture's broken, uh, but it's in this garden. It's just all just incredible. All the, the local, the uh, all the local chefs from around town come and do a big barbecue every Sunday afternoon. Awesome. And uh, and of course, it's just everybody's drinking rosé and, and Krug. And uh, you know, it's it's just amazing. Yeah, pretty pretty cool. It's, it's the roughest neighbourhood in New Orleans, the really? one that was most affected by um, the hurricane. And it's still, literally, even today, uh, eight years later, yeah, still, Katrina, still, Katrina still coming back. So it's 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 a remarkable place. It's about, I've been to New Orleans, and we were told um, very firmly not to step outside, basically the, the, French, the French Quarter. quarter. Just, and we went one block. We couldn't yeah. find out. It's a dangerous one city. Block the, re- the wrong direction. Yeah. And ended up being, you know, chased on foot by people that weren't necessarily looking for a good time. You Aussies. You Aussies. I won't repeat what they said, but um, <laughs> it's funny you get to venture out, and you know, most people wouldn't get to do that. You yeah. Know, you need to find a place yeah. like that. 
Yeah, it's, uh, we got introduced to it by uh, Chris Patino, who was a brand ambassador over in New York, and he found it. And uh, it would be at least 10 years ago now when he first yeah. found it. And uh, yeah, and he told us all about it. And, and it's become a Tales of the Cocktail tradition to end Tales there on a Sunday afternoon. And yeah, yeah before you go to. Um, What's the two jacks for a grasshopper to try and sort out your uh, your citric problems <laughs> by the end of the week? You're kind of uh, you're all done. You need a you need creme de menthe and milk to try and <laughs> sort your exactly stomach you out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it works. <laughs> it works. And then you go and sing a song at the uh, at the piano bar, Pat O'Brien's, and finally and, get rid of that voice you've got and have a hurricane. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, piano dueling bar, which is another one that should come to Australia. Yeah, it's um, remarkable. So you right. they so split the room into two halves, yeah, and you you're on a two pianos facing one another, and uh, and they you know they battle it out with singing yeah. uh, in the in the in the bar drinking hurricanes, you know. Really? It's, uh, yeah, I, I travelled through there when I was living in the US years and years ago, and I was lucky enough to see Cab Calloway playing uh, the tray, wow. and he come he yeah. used to come through and he, he'd have a big silver tray and he'd have these little silver finger. That's just called like a, like a thimble, for, but yeah. one for each finger, and he played the tray, and people go and put money on the tray, which he gave to the pianists. So to see Cab Calloway, the singer of Minnie the Moocher for the younger generation, mm. uh, that was uh, <laughs> that was uh, that was quite a thing to see. That that bar's yeah. pretty epic. You can't help but you find yourself in there. It's a, it's a piano dueling bar. It's it's awesome. You can imagine the the history that that place has seen. Mm. Wow, pretty incredible. Wow. This is gents, and finally, uh, I was continue on with you Jason um, biggest inspiration in the industry for you biggest inspiration for me uh, have to be Mikey um, he kind of when I got to Australia I was very lost and um, for many lots of different reasons I've been doing the trade a long time and Mikey made me a few drinks and and kind of said you know there's an industry still growing and you know kind of helped save me in a way because I was going nowhere fast and there's always kind of um, when there was a training role came up for Maxim, he put me forward for that. Um, when I was, you know, losing my life slowly in a small bar in Bondi, he brought me into the Hilton to do Zeta. Yeah. You know, so he's always kind of been there for me. And then from a from a creative force, I don't think there's anybody as creative as Mike that I've ever come across from a just a, a raw talent perspective. So yeah, he'd have to be the most influential person. Sorry to embarrass you, mate. That's, that's, uh, that's a tough one. No, no, no. Well, I was thinking. Mikey's got, a little, Mikey's got a little doggy. <laughs> but I, I genuinely mean So no, no, I don't mean to make you feel weird, mate. That's but, uh, uh, well, that does make it a little bit. <laughs> no, it does, mate. It goes no, the way. I tell you, I, uh, there, there is one person that I think, um, like, from an influence from a drinks perspective, I suppose, is probably Tony Canigliaro. Um, you know, he's had a bit of a hard time recently for one thing or the other, but I do think he was first first to the market on, like, a lot of drink trends. Um, oh, my God. And that can't, be taken, that can't be taken away from him, that's Massive. for sure. Massive. I don't think he's finished yet, either. I reckon he'll just keep on expanding, you know, the, the creativity around drinks and... Mm. and, and Methods and, and whatever else that's he that he does. He's he's With like a Bob, Bob Dylan of the uh, of the you know he's kind of that influential. It's incalculable yeah, uh, right. impact. Yeah. On Where's the, he from? Where's he from? The, from the UK. Right. He's got an Italian, strong Italian background. Yeah. Hence the name that no one can say. Yeah, <laughs> but, I um, just roll that on my tongue. Just yeah, you about. did well. You can't say uh, that, that that town in in Sweden, but you did. You got his name right, so that was uh, <laughs> that was good. <laughs> Gothenburg, <laughs> near Gothenburg. <laughs> uh, 
yeah, he's uh, a <laughs> titanic influence, isn't he? Uh, yeah. Just uh, of a whole new level of, of thinking, uh, very much so. Well, um, I reckon what I could say on behalf of Luke and me, I would say is that I think there's a lot of people in the industry, self-included, who find you both quite inspirational. Jason, you've hosted the Time Out Bar Awards twice, and today you've talked yeah. about how you don't like public speaking. I know. It's an amazing thing to me. Fries and, me um, to death. You know, a personal anecdote, but I remember, Mikey, the yeah. night that, sorry, when you left Maryvale, yeah. and um, yeah. I think the following <laughs> day, uh, you were doing a charity event and at Sydney Uni, um, because Freya, your partner had asked you to Better half. and uh, I turned up at this thing and it was incredible to watch you at work a man who sort of with all that pedigree been put into a shitty situation <laughs> and I love you Freya by, <laughs> by the missus yeah. and in addition to your headache bar was the wrong height there was no fucking ice it was chaos everywhere and uh, this one I will never forget yeah. is that uh, I walk in just to add to your stress and you still took care of me in the best way you can which I think is in the best traditions of hospitality so I think you're both an inspiration and uh, thanks for joining us oh, on the back of house oh, thanks for having us along like it's, it's, been, uh, it's been a lot of fun thanks for having us yeah, beautiful Mate, um, what did you take out of that conversation with Jace? Well, there's quite a bit to take away from that. I think that on the list of things to do is to take your redundancy payment and build 12 300 kilo imperial machinery things without having a seller. <laughs> I think that's uh, probably one of them. Um, yeah, I was pretty uh, inspired. Um, but, uh, well, there was a lot there, wasn't there? One of the anecdotes I liked was uh, his... Two sailors joined the Navy, which I think is, is me running around town telling everyone how good you are at recruitment and you telling everyone how good I am at media. But what did you take away? <laughs> um, but I just think he's an impressive guy. You know, it, it's amazing. It's There would be so many people in the industry, I think, who would not know who he is. Um, conversely, his name is so prolific around the world that it's quite under, it's, it's hard to understand how someone who's had such a massive impact. And I think that's kind of indicative of hospitality, you know. There's a lot of people out there who do some pretty amazing things, but it doesn't always resonate right throughout the whole industry. So I was quite excited to share his story so that people hopefully kind of understand. Yeah, he's an example of um, someone who's leading an incredible life that's been developed through hospitality, you know. He's all around the world. He but. Again, just to come back, the interesting thing, and I was trying to get my head around it during the conversation, but just the juxtaposition between someone who is doing amazing things at the world level, but then we run into him at an awards night where he's getting the bar ready. And I just think that's that's a pretty amazing trait of his. Yeah, that's right, passion for what he does. Mm. So in terms of upcoming guests, we're now on the hunt for additional bromances around the town, <laughs> but who have we got up next? So we've got Ross Jurisic from Stonewood. So... Um, that's a product that is very close to my own heart. You know, it's my I, I 
don't want to say this because I think Fishwick might get a little bit angry, but um, it is my favourite beer. We served it at my wedding as a result. And um, speaking to Ross and sharing the story behind Stone and Wood, which is an amazing story, um, something I'm really looking forward to. Yeah, I don't think many people are going to disagree with you on the fact that it is a delicious beer, mm. range of beers. So we'll look forward to that one next week. Yep. 